This coming up week, as we release this particular episode, we will be celebrating Thanksgiving, and I am a huge fan of Thanksgiving. Okay, I love the food. I love pumpkin pie. I like a little piece of pumpkin pie is really good for me, and then a lot of whipped cream, okay? And I wanted to give you some food for thought, actually. Um, as you go throughout the next week and really the next few months, as we head into Christmas too, to be thankful. And so today's talk is no different. It has such good, good lessons for us in how to be thankful. So I'm gonna share with you a talk that was given at the 2019 Regarding Him Women's Conference. Now, each year, the Regarding Him Women's Conference leaders pick a different theme, and this year's theme was called Living in Reality. Now, you and I both know that what we as women plan doesn't always turn out to be our reality. And boy, is this true for my dear friend Sharon, as she parented and had some challenges in her parenting. Now, I want you to know right up front, this talk is not just about parenting, but it does have a heavy emphasis on parenting, but it's for any woman listening, and here's why. You may be a mom with brand new little babies or little toddlers running around your feet. You will learn from this talk. You may be a mom like I am in the trenches of teenage years and maybe elementary school homework and kids blossoming out into the real world in their, as they go to college or get married. Or maybe you are entertaining grandkids today and this is a new journey for you and you are guiding your adult children as they parent their kids. Or maybe today you are in a spot where children are not directly a part of your life but you have dealt with some challenges in life. Well, Sharon has some great wise words to share and I hope that you'll sit back and listen as she tells us a story of how God led her and her husband through some challenges with one of their children and how God was working even in the midst of her challenges. So let's let's jump in and listen. All right, so this is the closest to a newborn I could get. This is Daisy. We're going to pretend she's my newborn, Matthew, like a long time ago. So I have 11 kids, but there is nothing better than a newborn. I could just sit and stare at a newborn for hours. How about you? Do you do that? So those first few days with your newborn, you gaze in their eyes and ponder all the great things they'll do. Now my thoughts with my firstborn went something like this. Let's pretend she's a boy and she's Matthew. You're never going to talk back to me. (laughs) You're going to hang on every word I say. You're going to be a star athlete. Get a full ride to Yale. And someday you're going to be a brain surgeon. Oh, the possibilities are endless. My baby is just perfect. I'm gonna hand my baby back. Wow, he, she puked on your shoulder. Glad you didn't puke on me. <laughs> Whoa, sorry, my flapping slips. <laughs> so, my baby's perfect, and then I arrived home, and reality set in. My perfect child cried at night, and the more he grew, the more I realized my reality was much different than what I envisioned those first few days. He talked back to me. He didn't hang on every word I said. He didn't even like to play sports. He never got a full ride to Yale. And no, he didn't become a brain surgeon. We know we don't have perfect children. And since you all signed up for this talk, you guys know the same thing. It's not what you expected. Parenting has bumps in the road, times when your kids don't do what they're supposed to do, and times when you just want to give up. 
I'm still in the throes of parenting. Half of my kids have launched into adulthood, and I still have half to go. I'm not finished, but God continues to teach me. Today I'm going to talk about some things in my life that have given me a different perspective than my initial pie-in-the-sky view. So I hope by the end of our time, you'll realize the struggles you face are used by God to mold and shape you. The trials make you a better parent, and they'll also shape your children as well. There's a verse in Isaiah, it's very dear to me. It's a verse I know well, yet there was a point in my life this verse just rang hollow. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Yes, I knew this verse, but I was tired. I was weary. I was dismayed, and I was full of fear. And it didn't appear to me God was near to me. My life-altering challenge happened about 10 years ago. My oldest son, Matthew, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. This news changed my family, changed me forever. A declaration about my son that took away my joy, my hope, and my ability to see God as a good father. Matthew was launching into adulthood and came crashing down when he was 17. We had absolutely no idea what was happening. It takes a while to get a confirmation because they don't want to be applying this without complete certainty. So we were in limbo for quite some time until a doctor confirmed that schizophrenia was a wretch that had taken hold of our son. There were three years of roller coaster ups and downs. He was in the hospital. He was out of the hospital. He was on a med. He was off a med. We find a counselor, change counselors. He was failing at school, failing in relationships. He was unable to drive. And there came a point he just couldn't even live in our home. Now, to be honest, during this trial, I was not resting in God. I was striving to get Matthew back to the way he was. And the more I attempted to help him, the more things spiraled out of control. I had no control. I was searching for the right med, the right doc, the right hospital, anything that would help him. I wanted to help Matthew, and what I could do was going to help him. Now the climax came one day when his roommate said he couldn't stay with him anymore. I looked at a group home. I cried. I couldn't put him there. He stayed with my mom a few days. That was a fail. So I did what anyone would do. I got on my computer and Googled schizophrenia. So I came across an inpatient study. Now this was a really long shot, but it was my only shot. I touched base with the coordinator. And Matthew was accepted, to my surprise, rather quickly. He would leave in less than two weeks. Robert was hitting the road, and boy, was I anxious. He was heading to National Institutes of Health, otherwise known as NIH, in Maryland. I realized I had to trust that God knew it was best for him, not me. I was sending my psychotic son across, this, across the country to people I had never met for six months. So this picture was taken like two days before he left. My husband, Mike, wasn't even in town for this because um, it was so abrupt. Yes, I do have a lot of kids. There's 11. This is Matthew. Um, actually, he's like seven now, so this was six years ago. So anyway, um, there's a lot going on. 
So the morning Mike and Matthew left to go, my emotions flooded, and the frenzy of all the struggles of the years leading up to this point culminated. Now, I'd like to say I had a super spiritual moment and finally trusted God, but to be honest, I had no other choice. I had to trust God. God had a plan that didn't involve fixing Matthew, as I had desperately prayed. Now, I'm sure God was working throughout this entire ordeal up until now, but this was a turning point for me. I began to take notice of all the ways God was there. There was a man in our church that gave Matthew a job, and yes, he was not helpful. Some days I think he just paced in circles. Yet Jacob looked past that and gave Matthew dignity by allowing him to work. There is a pastor by my side numerous times in the ER because every psychotic break happened when Mike was out of town. That's just how it rolled. So this pastor made a point of spending time with Matthew on a weekly basis. There were many friends praying for me, bringing me meals, watching my kids. My mom took my kids every Thursday. Now coinciding with Matthew's initial psychotic break was my going back to work after our 10th child. Yes, 10th. So I remember calling home on my first day back. Hey honey, how's it going? How's Benjamin? Silence. Honey, the baby. So Mike said, oh yeah, he covers the phone. Hey, does anybody know where Benjamin is? <laughs> Things at home were not running very smoothly. I remember calling my sister in tears. My sister's here. She hopped in her car and rescued my newborn. We made a pact. She watched Benjamin every weekend I worked. He pretty much spent his first year of life at her house on my work weekends. I'm so thankful God used her to help me during this time. She made this book for Benjamin on his first birthday. It recounts all the great times they spent together. I think he had his first Burger King with her. He probably took his first steps at her house. He did. I know, she didn't tell me that. Now she tells me he did. Okay. But this book reminds me of how God cared for my newborn with my sister. So I stopped focusing on me, and I took notice of what God was doing in big and small ways. Did you hear that? I stopped focusing on me and took notice of what God was doing. I gave thanks to God for the ways he was working. So back to NIH. A friend of ours knew a pastor that worked out there, and he asked if he'd be willing to visit Matthew. He agreed, and he was faithful to do this the entire time Matthew was there. Now, taking this on is nothing like popping into Flower Hospital, parking in the best spot. NIH is a huge campus that sprawls 300 acres. There's a car search, grilling questions, metal detectors, one way in, one way out. Getting Matthew out of the center was not an easy process. This pastor endured this to visit Matthew, even though he had never met him. God was good to me. I could never have conjured up a prayer for someone to visit Matthew. Not just visit, he took him to church, he did Bible study with him, and he took him to dinners in his home. God answered a prayer for me I didn't even pray. In Romans it says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So after Matthew's time was finished, I learned a few notable things on the discharge interview. 
The chances of getting into this study are pretty much 0% if you're not referred by a doctor. The top schizophrenic doctor in the country told me, your son has the most severe form and the most severe type of schizophrenia. Yes, this is very bad news, but I had a different perspective. God changed my focus to be on him and not on fixing Matthew. <clears throat> and within a few days of arriving for the study, this doctor, it was obvious to this doctor that Matt needed to be on a med that would disqualify him from most of the research. The doctor did the ethical thing and started the medication he knew Matthew needed. Now he could have used the med he was doing the research on, but he chose what was best for Matthew, not what was best for his research. And the occupational therapist that worked with Matthew daily was a Christian. God used this trial to bring me to my knees, and I saw firsthand his power and strength. So, if you guys are fill-in-the-blank people, this is your first fill-in-the-blank. <laughs> I couldn't control any of this situation. Not having control is one of the top parenting challenges that we all face. So, the minute you have a child, there are hundreds of things you can't control. You can't control where your baby has a blowout or when your baby has a blowout. You can't control where they puke or when they puke. And you really can't control where they sleep or when they sleep. So let's be brutally honest, becoming a mom rocks your world like nothing else. So blowouts, puke, and lack of sleep are common to most of us, and yet there are some trials that go beyond these. So are you facing a major trial in your parenting today? A trial that you can't control? A trial that is crushing you, causing you to feel hopeless? Maybe you're here today and you have a child that doesn't respect or listen to you. A child that's making bad choices. Or maybe your kid's addicted to drugs, video games, or porn. Or maybe they're struggling with gender issues. Or you have a child that hates God. A child with a major health issue. Or maybe your kids are little and they won't eat their peas and carrots. That may seem small, but the little battles will make you ready for the bigger ones. So just recently someone asked me if I would change what happened with Matthew, go back and not have to endure this trial. Without a second thought, I can wholeheartedly say, no, I wouldn't change it. This trial tested my faith in a way nothing else could. This trial has made my family stronger. My desperate prayer for years was for God to take this trial away. Fix Matthew. He didn't. Instead, he changed me. There's a passage in James that says, Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. Trials, enduring trials, makes you perfect and complete. Remember this the next time you're facing a really hard thing. So that being said, we all want what's best for our kids, and, desire, and that desire can allow us to fall prey to parenting extremes. I don't have a handout. I think this is another fill-in. So we're going to talk about some parenting extremes. So the first one I'm going to call a helicopter mama. As you all know... <laughs> She thought that was funny. Is that you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we found one. Uh, that was funny. Okay, so a 
helicopters use to rescue people from mountains. You can hover closely, drop a ladder, scoop up someone from a dire circumstance. As moms, we're prone to do this for our kids. We hover, we rescue, we protect. In fact, if the helicopter mom had a chant, it might go something like this. Now don't laugh at me. I was in grade, I, I was gonna have Lynn help me, but she moved in a new house today. Okay, you ready? That's my baby, he's so great. Don't mess with him, I'll seal your fate. <laughs> Helicopter mom rushes in when her kid is mistreated by a teacher, coach, or classmate. She defends her children no matter what. She fights for her kids and makes it her job to see to it they're treated fairly at all times. A helicopter mom also makes every decision for her kids because surely they'll screw it up if she lets them, allows them independence. She shields and protects them from every consequence. And she is 100% certain that her child never does anything wrong. So if you parent like this, teachers and coaches will run from you. <laughs> Your kid will be embarrassed. Your kid's friends will be afraid of you. And it's a pretty good bet your kid's not going to learn how to function in society. And I'd say it's a good chance your kid's going to be living in your basement when he's 30. <laughs> so this overall is not a good parenting plan. And you're still not in control. So the other extreme, think ostrich, head in the sand. This parent is disengaged. They're the ones who try to befriend their children and don't challenge them. They're the cool parents in the neighborhood where all the kids like to hang out because nothing's required and the kids run the show. Now they might say, I'll let my kid figure out right from wrong. I want them to make their own decisions about God. I'm not going to follow them on social media. They are who they are and I can't change them. I will let go and let God. Now at first blush, that sounds great. However, that can be code for, I'm not putting in any effort that God requires of me. I'll let you drink in my house, then at least you won't be driving. You're going to do it anyway. The ostrich parent chant might go something like this. Okay, ready? I'm permissive and lots of fun. I don't say no to anyone. <laughs> I state these extremes to say that we need to recognize when our parenting is out of whack. Effective parenting should be based on the Word of God and what He commands. Effective parenting falls somewhere between these extremes. So, I want to protect my kids, but let's see what God's Word says. There's a story in the Old Testament book of Samuel. It tells about a woman named Hannah. Hannah was barren. She prayed for years to have a child. This was her prayer. O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Within a year of praying this, Hannah conceived and had Samuel. Hannah knew she had to keep her vow to give him back to God. Now think about this. Do you know women who have been barren and then conceived? What's their natural instinct? They're going to overprotect, never let that child out of their sight. 
They're going to put them on a pedestal, never let them suffer. Make sure they have control over every aspect of their life. God answered Hannah's prayer. She had to hold fast to her promise to give him back to the Lord. So after Hannah left Samuel at the temple, she prays a prayer full of truth about who God is and what he can do. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. The Most High will thunder from heaven. Hannah knew who was in control by the way she prayed. Now the priest in the temple at this time was Eli. In Samuel it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. So let's consider this. Hannah is dropping her young child off at the temple with a priest that has scoundrels for sons. So, would any good helicopter mama do this? I don't think so. It doesn't appear to be the best situation. Hannah came once a year to bring him clothes. She wasn't across the street hovering and watching him. Hannah trusted God enough to place her child in a situation that was not ideal. God protected her son and was with him. Hannah's faith was in God, not in herself. Now, biblical scholars say Samuel is between 6 and 12 years old when she took him to the temple. So, I'm guessing before she dropped him off, Hannah taught her son to fear and obey the God she feared and obeyed. Now, if you're unfamiliar with who Samuel is, he was the first prophet after Moses, the last judge of Israel. He was the one that anointed Saul and David as kings over Israel. And he wrote the Old Testament books of 1 and 2 Samuel. Samuel was used mightily by God. He knew and feared the God his mother knew and feared. <clears throat> what an example for us. Now in a helicopter mom world, Hannah seems to flunk the test. But Hannah is not trusting in herself. She's trusting in God. Ruth Graham Bell, the wife of Billy Graham, has a quote I think is very relevant here. This is a fill-in alert. Um, now keep in mind, she had more than one child that went through rebellion, and she faced many parenting challenges. This is her quote. As a mother, my job is to take care of the possible and trust God with the impossible. So let that sink in. As a mother, my job is to take care of the possible and trust God with the impossible. So let's talk possible. So what can you do? Well, first of all, provide for physical needs. That one comes easy for most of us. Food, clothing, clean sheets, clean laundry, although matching socks does not come easy for me. I don't know about you guys, but I have a whole laundry basket unmatched socks. So if you don't include socks, I think I got that covered. So beyond physical needs, you must provide for their spiritual needs. This should be your top priority. Now God's word is the go-to book for this. And my head is swimming with all the things you can do to accomplish this goal. But I don't want to stand up here today and recite a list. I'll refer to you a book that sums up quite nicely what is too much to cover in this talk. If you only read one parenting book, it should be this one, Duties of Parents by J.C. Ryle. This is a very short book, as you can see. It was written in 1860. Um, this has very practical things that you can and should be doing in your parenting. 
You can sit down and read this, depending on how fast you read, a half hour. <coughs> it would be quick. Um, you can buy this in the bookstore today. And it won't break the bank. I think they're like three bucks. Um, as I said, I don't have time to cover everything in this book. However, as I ponder my years of motherhood and the many struggles that I've faced, I think one of the top things that you can do as a mom is to train your children to obey. Scripture is very clear on obedience. In Colossians it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you. Now that's a promise to cling to. So, this is kind of a strange question, but stick with me. So, has anyone ever been to a bull riding competition? Oh, there's a few. You went? Adrian? Oh, okay. So, some people have. I wouldn't have expected you to come. I forgot you lived in Idaho. Okay. So, I recently took my young boys to a bull riding event. Whoa. What a terrifying thing to watch. I'm just saying, if you've never been, it is terrifying. It was frightening the way those bulls bucked and jumped with power and strength, trampling anything or anyone that came in their way. Those bulls had a mind of their own, and they were virtually impossible to restrain. That was my son, Jordan. His entire childhood. Now, those of you that know Jordan are laughing, because it's true. Um, I sent this to him to make sure I could say it before I did, just so you know. Um, now, he bucked everything, and he made life miserable for himself and for me, and for those around him. Um, now, he'll be the first to admit his childhood could have been much simpler and easier if he would have obeyed. Jordan learned firsthand the truth of this verse. Many of his days did not go well for him because he didn't obey. It was not for lack of effort on our part, believe me. Mike and I tried desperately to get obedience from Jordan. My responses were not always what they should have been. I sinned greatly in the midst of parenting him. I got angry with him. Some days I just wanted to give up. God did a mighty work in Jordan despite my sin and his sin. The result in his life now is glorious. Jordan obeys and fears God. So I am now reaping the benefits of those hard days and constant battles with him. He is determined to require obedience from his kids and spare them the struggles he faced. Now, if you're tracking with me, Jordan's kids are my grandchildren, and they are a pure joy for me. They obey and listen. Jordan and his wife, Mackenzie, have two children. Having Vivian and Reuben in my home is wonderful. Vivian, who's two, takes a nap in Aunt Audrey's bed. I tuck her in and tell her not to get up. She listens and obeys. No tantrums, no crying, no getting out of bed. Jordan is training his children well. Now, I don't think Jordan would be so adamant about this command of Scripture if he had not experienced firsthand the result of his dis disobedience and what that road meant for him. I see great things in my grandkids, and they're only two. Think about that. You're not just training and raising your children. 
your parenting is going to affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That's powerful. You're doing a mighty work in your parenting. Persevere. So in contrast to Jordan's disobedience, my older girls experienced the opposite. In regard to school, it went well for them because they learned obedience and they submitted to authority. Now, they'll be the first to tell you they're not the smartest kids. But what they will tell you is they obeyed and did what was required. They turned in homework on time and met deadlines. Many other kids were smarter. However, they did not learn the valuable lesson of obedience and submission. Some kids are just compliant. They're subdued, obedient, and pliable. Other kids are like the bucking bull. They refuse to comply and are just argumentative. So now I'm going to give you a very valuable tip. Something I've learned from grinding it out and dealing with multiple kids that are all different. So here's my tip, and now I'm going to charge you for this. <laughs> so if you find yourself being pulled into arguing and battling with your kids, that's a sure sign you're not in control and your kid is taking over. They're not obeying you if you're arguing with them. So, red flag alert. I realize this is a napkin. It's supposed to be a flag. It was an Amazon fail. I ordered flags, but <laughs> So this is my Amazon fail. Red flag alert. Think about that the next time you're arguing with your kids. Roles are reversed and you're no longer in charge. They're fighting your authority and not obeying you. Don't argue with your kids. You are in charge, not them. So you think I'd have this down by now, but no. Just the other day, I was engaged in a useless argument with my nine-year-old. My daughter Katie was in the room and she basically called me out on this. And she was right. Why was I arguing with my nine-year-old? He wasn't obeying me. It's a slippery slope if you start accepting partial obedience as full obedience. Complete obedience is doing what you're told, I think this is another filling, willingly, promptly, and cheerfully. If any element of this is missing, that's not obedience. Training your kids to obey is going to help them in every area of their life. What a pleasure for a teacher to have an obedient student. It must make a coach's job much easier if an athlete heeds instruction. Obedient kids turn into valuable employees when they enter the workforce. So let's be honest. If your kids are obedient, doesn't that make your life a whole lot easier? Many parenting challenges that we face would be non-existent if our kids learned obedience. And no, obedience does not come naturally. It needs to be learned. It takes practice. It takes discipline. It can take years. It must become a habit. So this book talks about obedience. I'm just going to read a small portion of what it says. <coughs> Parents, determined to make your children obey you, though it may cost you much trouble and cost them many tears. Let there be no questioning, and reasoning and disputing and, de and delaying and answering again. When you give them a command, let them see plainly that you will have it done. A parent always yielding and a child always having its own way are a most painful sight. Painful because I see God's appointed order of things inverted and turned upside down. 
painful because I feel sure the consequence to that child's character in the end will be self-will, pride, and self-conceit. You must not wonder that men refuse to obey their father, which is in heaven, if you allow them, when children, to disobey their father who is on earth. So as you train your kids to obey you, this obedience should transfer into obedience to God. And if our kids are obeying God, all the other things are going to fall into line. We can trust that God will direct their steps. Now, if you're here and you have older kids and they're out of the training phase, you can still have an impact on them. You can pray for your kids. This could be as simple as a quick text, asking them how, to, how you can be praying. And pray for hard things to come into their life so they have an opportunity to trust God. Yes, hard things and trials are good for them. You can speak truth to your kids. Speak truth and continually point them back to God and what his word says. You can love them in word and deeds. Make their favorite meal, fill up their car with gas, buy them some groceries, <coughs> let them use your Kohl's cash. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> you can let them feel the consequences of their sin. You must continue to say hard things to your adult kids in a loving way and not enable them to remain in sin. If they choose to remain in sin, don't let them commit those sins in your home. Let the consequences of their sin and choices weigh heavily on them in the hopes that they'll turn. Facing reality and where their sin leads will help your kids in the long run. So just a quick example, Mike and I have been happy to provide kids for our, our Provide kids. <laughs> provide cars. We do have a lot of kids. Um, so we provide cars when our kids turn 16. But that comes with an exhortation. Drive safely. Don't speed. So, so far we've had to yank cars from three of our kids. It's a huge reality check when they realize how much it costs to own their own car and pay insurance. They now have skin in the game and it amazes me how carefully they drive when they're paying for their car. Consequences do force change if they hurt enough. So this ends my list of possible things you can do and I haven't even scratched the surface. Again, the Bible and this little book are helpful. So if you do all the things the Bible says and you read this book and do everything the book says, are those guarantees your kids are gonna turn out the way you want them to? Of course not. But if you do these things, you will be doing what God requires, and you can rest in knowing that God is the author and perfecter of faith, not you. So let's change gears to the impossible. There are some impossible things. Just accept them. Don't try to do the impossible. You'll only become frustrated, and more likely than not, you're going to push your kids away. You can't prevent hardship or challenge. You cannot control every aspect of their lives. You can't make their lives perfect. You can't make their hearts soft toward God. And you cannot control if they turn their back on God. So do the possible. Let God take care of the impossible. So back to my story. There are some impossible things I never thought God could do in Matthew's life. Statistics tell me that only 25% of schizophrenics can live on their own. Matthew lives by himself. 85% are unemployed. Matthew has held down a job for over three years. 
Yes, God did a mighty work in my trial. However, it was not with a wave of my hand. This testimony I presented spans a 10-year period. My trial is still ongoing and God is still at work. I laugh now as I recall all my hopes and dreams for Matthew, what I consider to be the perfect path in life for him. Matthew does have the perfect life that God created for him. Nope, he's not a brain surgeon. He works in a fast food restaurant. He likes his job. He's happy. Most importantly, he fears the Lord and obeys him. This isn't in here, but back to my son, Jordan. It's glorious the way he takes care of his brother, Matthew. And there are you people that, you guys that know him know that's true, and it's, it's wonderful. So, you may be facing a trial today that is overwhelming you. Believe me, I was overwhelmed. As I look at this picture and all that I've gone through, if I withstood that, you guys can do anything. <laughs> this should give you hope. <clears throat> um, so whatever you're facing today, I'd encourage you to focus on three simple things. First of all, be thankful. There were many days I just had nothing to be thankful for. As I was trudging through one of those hard days, a friend dropped off a chicken pot pie. It was unexpected. It was a huge blessing. It wasn't, it wasn't just any chicken pot pie. It was a Costco one that I won't buy because they're too expensive. My kids still talk about it. Um, now I had something to be thankful for. I gave thanks for that Costco chicken pot pie and that dear friend that brought dinner. You may have to look under rocks and in the most unusual places to find things to be thankful for, but make this a priority. The second thing I did was listen to truth. God's word is truth. I committed to reading the word every day. Being in the word gave me hope as I read and meditated on what God had to say about trials. His promises to me were fresh in my mind and helped to deflect discouragement and despair. I listened to music that spoke truth to me. Being a part of a church that spoke truth helped me in so many ways as well. I remember a day in particular, a friend came up to me and stated three very specific ways she was praying, and she pointed me to truth from God's word. And to be honest, when you're going through a hard thing, a lot of people avoid you when you're facing hard things. They don't know what to say. I was grateful this friend did not steer clear of me. Maybe she didn't know what to say either, but she spoke God's word to me. I remember this day like it was yesterday. I would have loved to stay, in home, stay at home in bed and cry, but I was at church. So it's very tempting to just isolate yourself and wallow in self-pity, but don't isolate yourself. I repeat, don't isolate yourself. The third thing I did was pray. In fact, Philippians commands us to pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you pray and make your request known to God, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. What an amazing promise to cling to in the hard times. So those are just three simple things you can do. Give thanks, listen to truth, and pray. Let me leave you with one final word of encouragement. 
God sees you. He knows your struggles and trials. He's at work in your situation just like he was and is at work in mine. I don't see God as I pray for my will to be done. When his will is done, he's plain as day to me. My fear dissipates as I trust him. I'm not dismayed as I realize he is my God. I am strengthened and see his help to me when I open my eyes and focus on him and not on me. I feel him upholding me with his righteous right hand when I cling to him. I pray that this will be true for you as well. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. that although I'm sure my friend Sharon had a different plan for her son, even as she shared in her talk today, she has learned to come to terms with God's plan and to trust God. I love her three things. I think those three last things she told us are applicable no matter where you're at today. First one was be thankful. I mean, how many times have we talked about that on the Unshaken podcast? We need to be thankful. It's a lesson I need to take today. The second one was listen to truth, God's truth, God's word. Listen to what he's telling us in in the Bible about what he has a plan for. This is so important. I love Sharon bringing up the idea that people spoke truth to her because I think sometimes we need our friends to speak truth to us. We need God's word. We need to hear truth through song. So really, honestly, this is really vital. The third one is pray. The Bible's pretty clear, pray without ceasing, and this is something we can do no matter what our circumstances are. You know, I love my friend Sharon. I appreciate all these things she shared today, and I'm gonna tell you, she lives what she says. Maybe you are stuck in a spot today, and your life is kinda not what you thought it should be. Maybe it has to do with a child. Maybe you have a challenge like Sharon did, or maybe it's something different. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you are not happy about. Or maybe it's a difficult marriage. Well, I want to encourage you to live those three things. Be thankful, listen to truth, and spend time praying to our great and heavenly Father. Hey, let me pray for you today. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you and thank you for all the ways that you have come and blessed us in our lives. I thank you for trials and the hard things that you give us. Lord, I pray that each woman listening today will be comforted by you and by your presence in her life. And I pray that we will run to your truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and give us wisdom. I thank you for Thanksgiving and the holiday that we can celebrate. I pray that we would be women who are thankful in everything in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, You can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God. Until next time, and happy Thanksgiving!